Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. <laughs> why you, I'm laughing. What are you so giggly about? Because right when I was starting to speak, I had like a little burp oh. or something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I'm very professional, obviously. Desi. I'm drinking like the hugest coffee. I don't know why it's really late at night, but you know, me. I, I, I just live chugged, by my own rules. I just chugged a coffee too. Right? Yeah. Um, sometimes I think the caffeine doesn't affect me and then I will be up all night. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be up together. Um, Desi's wearing her really sexy scientist glasses. Right. Cause I did the research this week. That's so right. I'm uh, got my bun in my hair. Right. At some point I might take my bun out and shake my head like the blind, right. <laughs> blinded me with science video. I one, don't know. One of our listeners had a question about, um, our research on this show and Desi and I switch off for each story that we do. Right. So this week is Desi's week. Oh, right. Sorry. Does that confuse anybody? Um, confused one person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we take turns. Yeah, we okay. take turns doing the research. So uh-huh. this is Desi's week. Uh-huh. So it probably won't be as thorough, but <laughs> <laughs> I have other charms. <laughs> um, anyways, so one of the things we tried to do this month was sort of find topic like um uh, crimes that happened during the month of december to kind of tie it all together um and some of those happen to be not necessarily um with famous people but just set in la and hollywood area and they're sort of kind of have their own little lore <laughs> don't you like when i kind of write these intros I've been, as if i'm a true crime writer i've been loving your new intros lately thank you <laughs> so in 2016 a house went up for sale in what is like probably one of the lu- most lucrative neighborhoods but yeah. kind of like a cool neighborhood called los feliz which i always say i used to say very incorrectly when i first moved to la los, los feliz I s- right. i've lived in la for 12 years i still say los feliz is it los feliz though it if you're gonna confusing. if you're gonna say it with the correct Spanish pronunciation, it is Los Feliz. Mm-hmm. Okay, but everyone in LA says, says Los Feliz. Los Feliz. Every okay. like white person, I guess. I don't. Ugh, know. Someone, someone, please correct me. Uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, the home had not been lived in since 1959, which is pretty rare considering that the neighborhood is really hot and everyone wants to live there. It's um, rare, even if it wasn't. A hot neighborhood, but the fact that it is a hot neighborhood and this house was just... So we're talking over half a century. It's wild. Um, It's also, not only is it a very trendy neighborhood, the home is like huge. It has a stunning view of downtown LA. Um, It's a Spanish style mansion, basically. Um, The listing that that was put up in 2016 uh, described the home as a 1925 a four-bedroom home with a grand entrance with a step-down living room, serene views, formal dining room, library, study, large kitchen, and a ballroom with a bar on the third floor. So we're like, this is a mansion. It's a nice-ass house. uh, It's located at 2475 Glendower Place. And the asking price 
uh, was $2.75 million. It was in a, a probate sale, which means the owner died and there was no, uh, no one designated as an heir. Right. right. Um, so despite that sounding like a very high price, it actually was pretty low because the home was in utter disrepair. Like, and it hadn't, it hadn't been lived in for a really long time. So that was actually low, a low end price for this neighborhood and for that large of a home. One of the things that was left out of the listing. <laughs> kind of an important Yeah. And it, it, it kind of, you know, there is a law that you have to say if a, if a murder happened in a house for three years after it happens. Um, Only three years. Yeah. But this house was a famous, um, it was famously called the Los Feliz murder house. Right. So even though the, the realtors didn't technically have to say it, it was pretty well known that that was the deal here. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was definitely left out of the listing. Um, and the house actually, so basically the house was the, um, scene of a very famous murder suicide. Um, after the murder suicide, which was in 1959, it was bought by a Lincoln Heights couple named Emily and Julian Enriquez, who then, uh, you know, left the home to their son, Rudy, um, who also never sold the home or lived in it or rented it out or anything. That's, I find right. that so bizarre. Right. And so when he died, then the home was listed in uh, a probate sale because he had no uh, legal heirs. Um, he wasn't even making, well, I guess when he sold the home, he made, uh, he didn't make, he never made money off no. it if he died. No, and he was basically like a record store clerk from what I read. So why it doesn't seem. If you own the house, why right. wouldn't you live in it or know. at least rent it out? I'll get into a little bit more of that later. But okay. um, so the listing, when the listing went up in 2016, it was a pretty big deal because the house was so famous. Uh, it was like a popular po um, stop on like those kind of Hollywood murder house yeah. tours where you, you kind of go around and visit these famous crime scenes and just like kind of um, people, paranormal, you know, lovers and people wanting to go get spooked, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the initial listing only contained a single photo that was kind of carefully curated from the best possible view, right? Like cozy, <laughs> like a typical <laughs> realtor ad where you're kind of just showing, like they weren't showing the interior or anything like that. Um, but there was a ton of photos online and we'll post a bunch of them because they're kind of the photos incredible. Are awesome. They're, they're really cool. Um, and it's like a very creepy and haunted seeming interior that almost seems and, and pretty much was untouched from the night that these murders happened other than like vandals and stuff kind of going into the home throughout but there was the all this period. furniture all the furniture was still right. left there i was it was like a time capsule almost i texted desi when she was researching this story this past week i said oh, i'm so like i i just would have loved to just root around in there oh god this me too. time yeah. capsule just yeah. to see all the weird things i mean there were there's the photos some of them are like creepy dolls like yeah yeah um so some other details from the um listing uh and this is the direct quote waiting for that special person looking for a wonderful opportunity to remodel or develop um, one couple did see the potential in this fixer upper and bought the home for $2.289 million uh, in that probate sale. Um, according to the listing agent, Nancy Sanborn, with all of the activity, all of the people coming to look at, at it, only one couple came to court. 
I mean, I think a lot of people went to the open house, which I would have done if I had not. No, but only one couple was seriously interested. Right. I I kind of still find that hard to believe despite the murder. But maybe. uh, Anyways. Um, So the new to a couple bought the home and they intend to fix it up. Everybody believes in ghosts. Right. And they plan on living there and not. I haven't I haven't I didn't see anything that was more recent than this sale in 2016. Yeah. Um, But according to them, they were going to live there and fix the home up. Yeah. The realtor agent also said it was the perfect haunted house. As a real estate agent, it was an interesting challenge. <laughs> I'm sure it was, Nancy Sanborn. <laughs> anyway, so let's get back to basically, that's sort of the intro. Um, let's start at the very beginning with the, the murders. But before the murders, um, I'm going to give you a little background. Um, so basically, the little gist of the murders before I get into the background is that in 1959, a doctor named Harold Perelson murdered his wife Lillian in her sleep with a ball-peen hammer. Um, it's it's pretty much a story that kind of has it all, like a really classic Hollywood murder mystery. It has a like doctor. a rich family, a brutal homicide, and then we have the whole, the added bonus of like this home just sitting there dormant for half a century and just being a fucking creepy ass thing. Because I feel like that's pretty rare nowadays to have an actual creepy house that sits for so long like that and it's in a, really in a major city where real estate is like a hot commodity where you can't even get a place to live in this city right okay so background harold perelson was born february 1st 1909 in new york city to eastern european jewish immigrants um his parents came over when it was like that real flood of immigration where over 13.5 million immigrants kind of came to the United States, a lot of blue collar, working class, Eastern Europeans, Italians. Um, and they all were like that generation of immigrants that were really like, we're seeking the American dream. <clears throat> uh, they grew up in, he grew up in Queens and was the eldest of four children. So that idea of like seeking out this American dream was really instilled with, with him at a, at a very young age. Um, the idea of like working hard and you can achieve anything. When did he come over? He was born in 1909, but his parents came over shortly before that. Oh, so they were escaping the pogroms. Yeah. He was born in New York, right? Yeah. So he... Uh, they were like, we're getting yeah. murdered in Right. Eastern they left. Europe. They were leaving. But it was like, so they're coming here to come have a fresh start right. and like achieve whatever is but possible. But a lot of Jews came in, came in that right. time. Oh, yeah, totally. That's what I meant when I said it was like a huge, huge 13.5 million yeah. uh, immigrants came around that time. Um, so... He was sort of, they were sort of working class, um, but he worked really hard. He went to medical school and he was incredibly bright and he was also kind of innovative, like had like a real entrepreneurial spirit. And obviously his parents were very proud. I mean, a Jewish doctor, come on. (laughs) The stereotypes are, are a bit true in that regard, right? Like they were bragging about their fucking son, okay? Um, after he became a doctor, he actually, uh, moved to Southern California, that's sort of when he moved over and he was pretty successful right off the bat. He was not only a physician, but he kind of started making uh, or getting his toe wet or what is it? Toe, feet, wet? feet wet in the world of like academic publishing. He started publishing papers in the field of neurology and he later became um, a cardiology professor at USC School of Medicine. It was during this period that he married Lillian Silver, and they had three children, Judy, Debbie, and Joel. And for some reason, I need to point out that Judy spells her name J- J-U-D-Y-E. 
Y-E. I know. Isn't that really irritating? <laughs> <laughs> like imagine, I mean, I know the murder is bad, but imagine a whole life of having to correct your, the spelling of your name. It's not Jude Ye, It's Judy. Yeah. Um, and it was after he got married and they had the kids that they finally bought their dream home in Los Feliz for just $60,000, which was actually like half a million dollars uh, back in that day. So they were fucking rich. Um, a little bit more about the home because it has like a few interesting details. I already mentioned that it was like in that Spanish revival style that's pretty popular in LA with like the, the adobe like tile roof yeah. and like the stucco um but like really well done and nice um it was originally designed for um harry f schumacher by an architect named harry weiner or weiner um when he died uh the next person to buy it was named frederick zelnick and he was an influential uh german film director who was actually forced to flee Germany after um, Hitler rose to power in 1933. He moved to Los Angeles, produced movies, um, and he died in 1950. One of the things, some of the people who are looking for all the creepy connections, um, you know, like the paranormal people with this house, uh, at some point in 1931, a 20-year-old Hollywood writer died of an infection after playing tennis in that home and it was on uh, December 6th, the same day that the murders will take wow. place. Um, another thing that's often cited as a, um, as a um, connection was that there was another murder at the house. But it was actually at the house that was like not 2457, but 2475. So like that was like a long time rumor. Like yeah. another death had occurred there, but it was actually uh, false. So anyways, um, at some point... Harold Perelson, he really became what is known as an injection specialist. I don't even know what that means exactly, but what he would, what he did was, uh, he kind of started inventing like a new medical device to make injections more pain-free. So it was like an innovative new device to give shots or injections, whatever. He actually filed the patent on my birthday, December 30th. Um, <laughs> hint, hint, everyone. Hey, Desi's guys. birthday's yeah. coming up. I'll make an Amazon wish list. I don't know. No, I won't because I'm too lazy. <laughs> you can donate to our Patreon. Um, the It was basically a kind of hypodermic uh, syringe that would inject drugs directly from the glass capsule so it would reduce like, the um, chance of contamination happening, yeah. you know, uh, something like that. Anyways, he went into an agreement with a guy... Uh, to get this patent through and obviously as with any deal that usually happens people screw each other over um the guy who was going to kind of manufacture the device agreed to split the profits with him and then it kind of never went through they invested tons of money into getting this device patented like over twenty five thousand dollars which is as i said before sixty thousand was half a million so we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars equivalent at that time approximately um, Perelson actually sued the guy whose name was Shustak, um, and he ended up getting some money back for it, but he had spent so much in legal fees that it actually ended up being a loss still. He, he ended up only getting like basically what he put in back, but not counting all the legal fees. Yeah. So he, it was a loss for him basically. Um, Another sort of bad luck thing that happened around this time, on November 3rd, 1957, 
his daughter Judy uh, was in a really bad car accident in her dad's car, actually um, at the intersection of Vermont and Los Feliz, which I have driven by almost weekly, probably. Uh, it was a really bad car accident. Her two siblings were in the car. They all had suffered um, concussions and sort of shock, so like whiplash. Uh, Joel had a head injury and a severe shock to the nervous system. Jesus. Deborah, the youngest, was had her cheek was sliced open. Oh, my God. Um, the other driver uh, claimed that it was Judy who caused the accident by blowing through a red light. Los Feliz Boulevard, by the way, is fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's always crowded and trafficy. It's really... Yeah. So anyways, this was another thing that they ended up going to court for. Um, He sued for $20,000 in damages for each of the children and it, uh, or actually $20,000 in damages for each daughter and 10,000 for the son. I don't know why there was a difference. I guess there was a different level of um, severity of the injuries. He also won in court, but once again, the cost of everything kind of negated uh, the victory. Um, and at this point, the, the family's finances um, were bad. Right. Uh, so he's going from very wealthy to like a series of devastating financial blows. Yeah. Um, it was so bad, in fact, that Judy uh, wrote to an aunt. Um, and this is what she wrote in the letter. My family are on the merry-go-round again. Same problems, same worries, only tenfold. My parents, so to speak, are in a bind financially. So, I mean, it must be pretty bad for your teen daughter to contact an aunt <laughs> in a letter. Yeah. Um, uh, this was mentioned in a few articles. So I'm just going to mention it here, even though I don't know what it meant. But, like, apparently Judy was, like, a huge shopper, and she drove a sports car. Um, she had, like, her sh- her room was piled with shoes. Like, she just loved spending money. So, despite the fact that she seems aware of the fact that her parents were suffering from money problems, she didn't curtail her spending at all. I mean, not that it's really her responsibility. She's a teenage girl and her dad should have said no. Right. Um, but her dad, he did change, uh, when these financial problems started happening, he got more introverted. He no longer had that ambition that he had, which was probably makes sense. Like if you think you're going to be innovating and you're inventing something and you get screwed over, it's like the last thing you're going to do is sort of get your hopes up again. Right. But he got super depressed. He started reading very dark books. Um, like what? I'm going to get to one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway, so that was in the summer of 59 where he started drastically changing his personality. Okay. So, um, on December 6, 1959, uh, this was a detail that was brought up that I, I'm going to say because I find it very interesting for some reason. Lillian Pearlson ate her dinner of green beans. <laughs> I'm just, just like, green beans? yeah, like what? What kind Is that of some weird 50s diet? I know. It's like a scoop of cottage cheese, a hamburger patty <laughs> yeah. and a hard boiled egg and a grapefruit and diet jello for <laughs> So she had green beans. Maybe that was like what was found in her stomach. Uh, anyways, before going to bed, I hope whatever they find in my stomach is good. I know. I always think about that with John Bonet. The Me too. The pineapple. Uh, I don't know what I want. Her stomach was full of karma. I'm sorry. <laughs> she had a good and night. And a meatball sub. And a meatball sub. So at least she died doing what she loved. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, anyways, she went to sleep and um, in her, one person described it as a marital bed, which I always find to be very unhot. 
Yeah. Uh, and the the marital bedroom was on the second floor of the house. Remember, there's three floors uh, to this home. Around 4.30 a.m., Harold stood over her bed with a ball-peen hammer in his hand. Uh, she, Can you describe what a ball-peen hammer is? Is that a regular hammer? It doesn't... A ball-peen hammer, it has a ball on one side. Okay. So it looks... It looks very dull. It looks almost like, like, you know how a regular hammer has the flat yeah. side and then the hook side? That so it you doesn't kind of, have the hook it side. It doesn't have the hook side. Okay. Um, I'm probably not describing it correctly. I think, yeah, I just wanted to You probably know clear. what it looks like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a sort of, I'm not quite sure what it's used for, but we should probably look into it. Uh, anyways, a ball-peen hammer. He stood over her while she slept and he struck her so hard with the ball-peen hammer that a gaping inch-wide hole was in the back of her head. Uh, she didn't even scream. Wow. I mean, she pretty much died almost instantly. Uh, wow. And her pillow was completely drenched in blood. Um, it almost is described that he is shocked by what he had done. Um, he turned and walked out of his bedroom and went through a bathroom that was sort of a connecting bathroom that led to his um, eldest daughter, Judy's room. Um, and he struck her, too, while she was sleeping over the head with the same hammer. But Judy, the blow that hit Judy was not Enough fatal. Her. Uh, it kind of grazed her a bit. Uh, and she let out a scream. And the scream was described by neighbors as so otherworldly that everyone bolted up wow. in their beds when they heard this scream. Um, wait, what the fuck? Sorry. My scroll isn't working. Um, he told Judy to lay still and keep quiet. Shut up. Yeah. But she didn't. Uh, a neighbor um, who was actually the, the kid's babysitter named Sherry Lewis said that she still remembers the scream. Uh, at first, she this is a quote, at first it sounded like a wild animal was screaming and then she knew that it was clearly Judy's and she heard Judy screaming, don't kill me. Wow. Um, somehow Judy managed to escape her father whose hands were covered with blood as was his like whole upper torso. Like his shoulders were also covered with blood. Uh, she ran into her parents' bedroom and she saw her mom lying there covered in blood on her blood soaked pillow. She sprinted down the hallway, down the spiral staircase and out the front door. Um, a lot of people mentioned in the front door at the time, they had a smart, a smiling gargoyle in a fountain so yeah. that's like what she ran out to see like when her father's murdering her. She banged on um, the door of the Lewis house, yeah, which is the babysitter, babysitter, and they lived next door. Um, the Sherry and Shelly, who is uh, Sherry's mom, were frozen upstairs. So they didn't answer the door right away. And she tried another neighbor named Marshall Ross, who did open the door, and together they called the police. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Now back at the Perelson house, the two younger children had finally woken up when they heard uh, Judy's screams. He said to them, go back to bed. This is a nightmare. Whoa. Uh, so that's what he said to his 11 and 13 year old. How kids. old was Judy again? Judy, I believe was 17. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, she was a teenager. She was a teenager. Then he walked away from his kids still dripping blood so they're seeing their father covered with blood and like literally it is dripping off of him um at that point marshall ross the neighbor came inside the the house and he saw the two kids just sitting there on the first floor uh then he climbed up the stairs and and confronted dr pearlson dr pearlson told him go on home don't bother me um, he watched the doctor go into the bathroom and it was in there that Harold, um, pulled out his, the medicines that he had when they came on the scene of the bathroom, blood was literally sp- smeared everywhere. 
even though he himself wasn't bleeding, that's how severe like the wow. head wounds were. He was literally covered in blood and Smearing leaving it everywhere. it everywhere. He pulled out, um, he pulled out two capsules of Nebutal, which is a barbiturate. Um, and then he mixed, he broke them open and poured the yellow powder into water and, yeah. uh, and that's what he drank. Nebutal is known as death in a bottle. Like it's a very, it was a very common suicide pill at the time. I think that's what Marilyn Monroe took. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also what killed Judy Garland. Anyways, it's a very bitter taste according to what I read. Um, but it's a powerful tranquilizer. He also took 31 small white pills believed to be codeine possibly. Um, and then, the last thing that Marshall Ross saw was the doctor lying down on the bed, basically waiting to die. Some reports claim that he drank a cup of acid to commit suicide, but that uh, was not proven to be true. And they, I think the most likely story is that he did use the pills. Well, he probably had access to all kinds of stuff. Right. But to swallow acid would be a pretty brutal. Why would you do that? Right. When you could just take pills. Yeah. Um, it took 15 minutes for the police to arrive to the Hollywood arrived to the house from the Hollywood station and that's about 5 15 a.m so I think I said initially that the crime took place around 4 30 so this is about 45 minutes afterwards by the time they found the doctor he was on the floor um and he had a pillow covered in his daughter's bed with him so I don't know if he got up and moved or what and the hammer was still in his hand he was barely breathing and he actually died before the ambulance arrived um, the piece, the police gathered evidence, including the pills. Um, and they, one of the things they did found, find, um, on his nightstand was a copy of Dante's The Divine Comedy. And it was open to Canto One, which said, midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself with a forest dark for the straightforward path had been lost. So that he didn't leave a suicide note, but that was kind but he of left like that he kind of left that open and it seemed pretty intentionally. Um, so from based on what I've said before about the, um, financial issues, that's pretty much what is cited as to why he committed this crime and money problems are frequently the cause of murder suicides where men fucking men kill their whole families rather than live with the shame of financial ruin. And they think that they're kind of taking their family with them is like a good thing. Like I'm not leaving them with all of this horror. Um, so, I mean, some people speculate that he had a change of heart midway through his uh, murder spree or his almost spree. Uh, but I think also suicide in general is really, um, isn't it more common in men than I don't know. Women? Maybe. There is Maybe. like a really, yeah, I feel yeah, like there that is, is an correct. interesting statistic about that. But it does seem like clear that he intended on killing his three children. Of course. And he, he did stop. To. And the I think, you know, he made that that thing where he said this is a nightmare to his kids, kind of yeah. almost protecting them. Like, this isn't really happening. Like, you're not seeing. Right. right. I, right. I, even though it is super fucking creepy, too. So one of the main witnesses that they were kind of getting a lot of information from is this woman, Sherry Lewis. And she was interviewed in this one of the major pieces I have for this research, other than like LA Curb, a lot of this is on LA Curbed, which is like a Los Angeles real estate blog yeah. kind of thing. And there was a lot of personal blogs. But one of the best pieces 
was a medium piece, and I'm going to give a credit at the end. So this is uh, from his medium piece um, where he interviewed this woman, Sherry Lewis, a bunch. Uh, in that medium piece, he uh, Sherry, he interviewed Sherry asking about the doctor, like what his personality was. And she said, there wasn't anything strange or bizarre. He was a mild-mannered man. Um, he was very gentle. And then, and then he added, and the writer commented as this being the creepiest moment of the interview, she thought for a second and said, he gave good injections. <laughs> I agree. That is kind of creepy. But right. you're struggling to come up with a nice thing to say about someone, right? Right. Um, he, she said that she was due to babysit Joel and Debbie the next night. Um, so the morning after the murder, and this is another quote from her, when I opened the door in the morning, when Shelly's parents came to collect her, oh, right. I'm, I think I said Shelly was her mom. It was actually a friend who was sleeping over yeah. uh, her house. Um, the whole door was a mass of blood, which I found kind of shocking that she's going over to the crime scene the next day. Like, is this just like 1959? Like, whatever. <laughs> Like, right. we're done here. Mm, right. Um, I remember my hand being in the sticky blood. Yeah, that's a crime scene. What's yeah. your hand doing? I know. I know. It's crazy. Uh, and she said that her family covered up the peep window in her door for years to come. It scared me. I insisted I couldn't deal with it. Um, coroners who inspected Lillian's body found the whites of her eyes were blood red. Uh, she had died of basically she died of asphyxiation she actually drowned in her own blood that's what killed her right but she didn't scream i know so i don't know it must have knocked her unconscious or something right uh but she actually died of drowning in her own blood i always wonder about um bludgeoning deaths in people's sleep right there's probably a few ways you can actually die from it right uh, well i always just wonder about more the victim and what they feel if they feel anything or if they wake up or how common it is if they wake up i always wonder that whenever there's a right. case of someone getting bludgeoned right. in their sleep um the other thing that was sort of interesting that uh sherry lewis and not the famous one by the way uh mentioned was at some point it came out um i guess in the past before this happened um harold was was uh, hospitalized for what everyone thought were coronaries or heart attacks. But it turned out that they were... Okay, that's why I was like, Sherry Lewis, that's very familiar. <laughs> because Lamb Chop. Right, right, right. It's I not that Sherry Lewis. I yeah. Lamb Chop. Different one. A different one, yeah. Uh, so he had been hospitalized for heart attacks in the past, but it turned out after, after this happened, they found out that those were actually suicide attempts. And obviously it's not uh, untypical or atypical for um, people to try suicide numerous times before they're actually successful. Um, And sometimes people speculate that um, after some suicide attempts, sometimes they they even want to take out the people who they think caused the problem. So he might have been blaming his uh, wife. Oh, wait, wait. No, I'm sorry. He causing the problem of his suicide attempts and wanting to commit him. Like people trying to take care, you know, like when someone's trying to commit suicide, the wife and the doctors are like, we're going to commit you. Right. Uh, so he, he might've been panicking. Like my wife's trying to commit me. I'm going to take her out too. Mm-hmm. like blaming them for basically trying to stop him. Um, sorry, that was confusing. 
Um, so I think he did have a little fear that his wife was going to try to commit him at some point. Um, and he had to do something to stop it. I don't know why he chose this path, but he did. So, I mean, this might've just been, um, a basic murder suicide that was kind of interesting, but probably would have fallen off the radar completely if it wasn't for the fact that the house vacancy kind of created this, that created this like extra added dimension of like, um, something that people can kind of grasp onto and create, you know, a whole story out of. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Would you, I know like I'm the one on the show who's totally paranormal, believes in ghosts and stuff and has, is totally superstitious about ghost shit. Yeah. Would you live in this house? Price doesn't, that's not an op, doesn't matter. But like, would you, would you live in a house that you really, really thought was really cool and great, but there was a murder suicide in the house? decades before i honestly don't know there's something creepy about it even there's if you something don't creepy about it i mean i would lean towards yes yeah if i really liked it and i got like a really good deal right <laughs> but i'm not gonna pay a top dollar <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason why those prices right. are discounted right because even though people might not actively or consciously admit to believing in ghosts there is something that feels unsettling, I think, to most people about living. I'm very curious if anybody yeah, I would uh, like who to listens hear. to this show lives in a house that they know a crime or a murder occurred in or has lived in a house, a murder house before, please write in because I'm uh, I love I'm I'm really into haunted spaces. Haunted I'm into houses. that stuff, too. I just don't necessarily believe it all. Right. But I can also spook myself. I totally believe I can get myself scared easily. I totally believe in it. And I'm totally like, I know this sounds crazy, but I absolutely like part of like looking for a spot, like, like I will, like there are certain places I've walked into where I definitely feel like a weird presence in. Right. And I'm not a very woo woo new agey person, but that is the thing that I'm very like kind of weird about. Like I know I know. Yeah. I don't know. And this, I'm shocked. Like, I live in a very, 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 very old building. This building that I live in was built in 1920. So there's got to be some shit that went down here. But I don't, my apartment, miraculously, I've never had any weird paranormal experiences here. I've never had any weird vibes here. Lived here for seven years. But I've definitely been in other, like, my grandma's old house, like, there were areas in that house that were for sure fucking haunted. And I'm not the only person in my family who had experiences in right. that house. I have had experiences too, but it's hard to say because I was a kid and I don't know if I just got spooked. Right. Um, but as an adult, I don't think I've had anything that scared me like that. And I have been in like really old houses or B&Bs, like old, right. you know what I mean? But like, I also don't think every old ass place is haunted. No, I don't either. But I'm just saying I have had things, even things that seemed ghostly or whatever. Right. And I still was like, uh, eh, like it didn't spook me. I'll just get myself way too spooked out because I believe right. I believe so hardcore. Right. So you probably would spook the hell oh out of yourself. Oh my god. I mean, I have spooked myself numerous times in my own home, like after seeing <laughs> Right. When I see like that paranormal activity, when I saw that, I was so fucking scared. Yeah, I, I actually wasn't that. scared watching the movie, but then I read about it afterwards, and I can't remember exactly what it was. But there was some like original ending that scared me more, <laughs> <laughs> and then I couldn't go to sleep. Like 
I still haven't been be, been able to watch that movie just because I remember the trailers where it was just like the audience point of view and they're all screaming and I'm like I don't want to be that I can't it was scary and I I couldn't even watch half of it because it was making me nauseous because it was handheld camera so I would only watch the non-handheld camera parts because I was literally getting like car sick yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. it was just like a frightening experience anyways so like I said the mystery of the vacancy of the house is really kind of what made this such a big yeah. attraction. Uh, as I said, um, a year after the murders in 1960, the home was bought by the Lincoln Heights couple, Emily and Julian Enriquez. How much did they buy it for? I didn't see. Because they must have got a deal. I don't see. A, I don't think I saw a price. But yeah, I don't think I don't think they paid very much for it. Um, and they never moved in. Um, they actually. Uh, used the house for storage. Not only did they never move in, they never even yeah. cleared out the shit. Um, but they did move their own shit in right. for storage. I mean, it's a 5,000 square foot house. It's That's a, a big, big ass house. storage space. Um, and as I said before, um, through the years, curiosity seekers have come onto the property, peeked into the windows, taken a lot of eerie photographs. And perhaps like the most famous photographs that were taken were images of um, Christmas ribbons and wrapping paper sort of, you know, out as if people were wrapping Christmas presents because this did happen December 6th. But it was a Jewish family, so there is There's some also, uh, controversy here. I also read that... Um, some of the stuff that people thought were old relics were actually just stuff from the storage. Well, some of the, um, I mean, I mean, the initial rumor is that this is the house exactly as it was um, when the murders happened. Right. There's certain things that make it evident that that's not exactly the true. Christmas wrapping. The Christmas is wrapping the big thing for me. Well, that's actually there was actually a few more things. There was like. Um, an issue of Life magazine that can be seen in a lot of the photographs that was after the murders had happened. So it was clearly left there after the fact. It yeah. wasn't uh, made before then. And there's also a, um, another famous image that's there is um, a can of SpaghettiOs, which wasn't on the market until 1965. So those could not have been right. left by the Pearlsons. Um, a rumor, there was, there was a rumor that it, at some point, a family did briefly rent the home after the Pearlsons died and weren't told of what happened, which yeah. I kind of find hard to believe that the neighbors didn't notice that. But there, uh, the rumors suggest that it was their Christmas tree that stands in the living room and that they actually found out and left the home immediately in, in such a hurry they didn't take any of their president, presents. But none of this is confirmed. It's all speculation. But what is clear is that things have been left in that home. Which is still creepy. Since, yeah. So as I said, it, it became like quite an attraction for people who love all things paranormal. Right. Um, there's been a few stories throughout the years. Um, there was one woman who was bitten by a black widow spider after going to the home, and she claims that a sensation followed her like long after she left the home. Um, there was an interview in the LA times with Rudy who got the home from his parents. He was the final owner and he said he would never live there and he didn't see the place as haunted. And the only spooky thing there is me, according to Rudy, who sounds like quite the character. <laughs> um, I thought this was kind of interesting on uh, the website, find a death. Yeah. It's kind of a good website to go to if you're into this kind of stuff. Um, a member on the forum 
uh, had this to say about a conversation she had with Rudy, and this is all quoted. This is where it gets interesting, and don't read on if you don't want to. Con- if you want to continue to believe all of the folklore and myths about the house that have somehow started, I decided to ask him a few questions I was curious about. Keep in mind that neither of us ever mentioned the murder suicide there in 1959. First, I asked him if he had the original blueprints to the house. He said he did. I told him that I have heard the house had been vacant for over 50 years and no one lived there since 1959. That is where he showed the first signs of frustration. He said that was baloney. That he and his mother, father, and aunt. Virginia had lived in the house a number of years. I told him I also heard that much of Dr. Pearlson's family belongings, such as furniture, dishes, unwrapped presents, the infamous SpaghettiOs box, were left with the house when his family bought it. He said that that was also not true. Those were his family's possessions, and all of the previous owner's items were removed. I referenced the bright yellow chair sitting in the living room specifically, and he told me that he did not even buy those, but that, in fact, he inherited them from friends, and he mentioned he was 81, and many of his friends were passing away, and he would get some of their possessions. Lastly, I asked him what he plans to do with the house. He told me he did not know because if he decided to move back in, it would take a lot of remodeling and he did not know if he had it in him to do it at that stage of his life. He did acknowledge that he had heard the property was probably quite valuable. So that kind of makes it seem like they maybe did live there and a lot of that stuff was actually just theirs. there. Yeah. Well, that was like the, always There's, the craziest thing about that story is why... I mean, I guess if they owned the place, but why would anyone just leave all that shit there and not live there and have this nice ass piece of property and not do anything with it? If you're going to buy it, if you're going to buy it and look past the murder suicide in the first place. I mean, clearly that family seems kind of odd, right? That is very odd to me. Like if you're renting a property or you're buying a home as an investment. And you're not doing anything with it. And you knew what you were getting into. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. I just, there's so, there's such bizarre things about this whole story that just don't make any sense to me. I would like some explanations, please. Well, if he's still not selling it at 81, like that's your time. Get that whatever million bucks, (laughs) like live it, live it up, right? Yeah. Um, so there's like a little bit of information I found on the family, but not that much. Uh, people say that Judy did change her name like 10,000 times over the year. Uh, is she still alive? According to what I saw, there isn't that ton of information. I think they really don't want to have any part of it. Yeah. And the other information I found was that the brother had moved to Israel and become Hasidic and won't talk to anyone. So I think it's just really hard (laughs) to get their He's story really traumatized right and then i couldn't find anything on deborah anyways so um there is a movie that will be made really on this story um and i think it's fiction like it's going to be along the lines of an amityville horror type thing and i'm Who's curious doing it? No one famous, the coalition group and writer Joshua Malkin are developing the film. So I don't know what's going to come of it, if anything. Um, As I mentioned before, a lot of the research I did, there was not like a lot of stuff on this house. It was like a lot of personal blogs and a lot of L.A. curbed sort of from a real estate angle. Yeah. Um, And then the one uh, really in-depth piece, which I recommend reading because it was really long and in-depth right. uh, is a medium piece that's called The Murder House by Jeff Mache, and he has a lot of information I couldn't find anywhere else cool. and I think he's a true crime writer so I would follow him 
And uh, yeah. if you like true crime, this was a really good article. And I yeah. didn't get a chance to investigate more of his stuff. But he's a true crime writer, so I'm sure he has a ton of good stuff. Because yeah. his research was, was good. And he had a nice little interesting writing style as well. So that is the Los Feliz Murder House. I like murder it. suicide. I'm glad. I, I want to go check it out. I do too. I think we should totally check. We it should out. go out and we'll post some pics. Yeah, we'll um, take pictures. Yeah, I. So. Yeah, I, and I definitely everyone. I. I don't know if everyone just heard my cat make an announcement. She's spooked. She's spooked. <laughs> I yeah. Again, I want to know if you've ever lived in a house where a murder happened, or answer if you would live in a house with a murder suicide. Because I wouldn't. I couldn't yeah. do it. You can go to our um, Facebook group page, right? Yeah. Facebook. And, uh, ho- it's called Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. Request to join. And we talk about the shows and other stuff and like yeah. follow-up articles. Um, people really post cool. a lot of information there, and it is very cool. Um, so, yeah. Go check yeah. it out. Check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Or um, if you'd like to make a one-time donation, we got a one-time donation this past week. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah. That, that was, was awesome. such a nice little surprise. Yeah. It really helps us a lot. If you don't have money to contribute, no problem. We're so stoked about how many people Well, if you want to help show. us with no with no money, you can go give us a rating on iTunes because that also is very helpful. Oh, yeah. That you is click, very helpful. You could click five stars. That takes two seconds. If you have a little more time on your hands, you can write a nice review. We love the reviews. We like to read them because they are very sweet. They are very sweet. uh, They make us feel very special. Yes. Um, Okay, great. Thank you for everything. Bye. Bye.